guys. Welcome to Purposes and Priorities, our men's midweek Bible study through Paul's letter to Timothy, his first Timothy, or as some people say, one Timothy. And so tonight we're going to look at verses 1 to 13 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. The title we've given this is Priorities for Overseers and Ministers. The Verses actually say bishop and deacons. There is a difference between translating a word and transliterating a word. When you translate a word, you give the definition of the word. When you transliterate a word, you give it an English pronunciation or whatever language it is you're speaking. And it has not been good always to transliterate a word. An example is the word baptizo, which means to baptize or dip or immerse when you're dyeing a garment you baptizo that garment or dip it or immerse it in the dye so the word baptize is the word baptizo with an english pronunciation unfortunately over time it began to mean sprinkle to some people but the original word meant to dip or immerse so if they had translated the word instead of transliterating it we may not have the debates that we have about baptism. Transliterating baptizo into English is baptize, which means to immerse, but to some people it means to sprinkle. So in given an English pronunciation, sometimes we lose something. The Hebrew Yeshua, Jesus' name is Yeshua, transliterated into English would be Joshua. Transliterated into Greek is Jesus, and Jesus transliterated in English is Jesus. So this giving words, pronunciations in other languages is not all off or all wrong, but it does cause problems. And so it is with the word episkopos, which means overseer or bishop. Epi, epi is big, like an epic film is a big film. And scopos is to see, like telescope or microscope. So to big C is episcopos, that's a overseer. But when they say bishop, that's the Catholic term for overseer, and it's way bigger than the original meaning of the word. The original meaning of the word episcopos was a local church was overseen by a team of overseers or episcoposes. And uh, we'll see tonight that the term overseer and the term elder are two different terms. The Greek word presbyteros, transliterated, would be presbyter. But translated is elder. And it speaks of a mature leader, not necessarily older, but someone older in terms of influence, in terms of leadership skills. So an overseer is an elder. Elder is an overseer. Overseer speaks of function, whereas elder speaks of character. If a man's not an elder in character, he can't be an overseer in function. He'd be disqualified as, a, as an overseer in function if it's determined that he's not qualified as an elder in terms of his character. Now, why did I get into all that? Because of the word deacon. Diakonos is the Greek word. Transliterated is deacon. Translated is minister. 
servant ministers. I had a pastor here in town argue with me about this. said, no, no, there's deacons and then there's ministers. I said, no. And then I go into his church one day, he's got on the wall, every member a minister. It's like, so every member here's a deacon. Oh, no. So I just stopped teasing him, you know. <laughs> Basically, it's a minister or a servant minister who also oversees, but a more specific ministry in the church. Whereas an overseer or bishop or elder would oversee the church as a whole. An example, Greg Harrell and J.P. Grantham help oversee the church as a whole. Through their oversight, they helped us put money to the side in case of things got lean. And what happened last year, the income of the church went down during the summer, which is normal. The expenses go up during the summer, which is normal. And then in the fall, normally we come out of it. Well, we didn't. We were able to bring the expenses down, but the income didn't come back up like normal. And so by keeping the expenses down and dipping into reserves, we were able to make it. And I'm happy to report to you, February was a good month. More came in in February than went out. Well, that's because of a team of overseers. If one guy was just overseeing our congregation, we might have been in trouble. Might have been passing the plate and begging. <laughs> Two are better than one. Teams just are stronger than one person because you've got more eyes on the job. A deacon or a minister oversees a specific area of ministry. So, uh, example, Debbie Ellis is our women's pastor. She oversees ministry to women. Not all the women in the church, because in reality, the husbands are the ministers of their wives, really. But she supplements the ministry of the husband by ministering to the wife. And what do the single women do if they don't have a husband? She helps me pastor the single women in the church. Now, that doesn't mean I refer all the women to her and blame her for any problems with women. No, I don't do that. She just helps oversee that ministry that specializes in women. So she's a deaconess in reality. She is. All right, so now back to our text. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. This is a faithful saying or a true saying, or trustworthy saying. You can bank on what I'm about to say. If a man desires the position of a bishop or an episcopos, an overseer, he desires a good work. It's a good thing to desire. A bishop or an overseer must be blameless, that is, have a good reputation, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, so he's got some self-control, clear thinking, of good behavior, hospitable, that is, he's fond of guests, and that word literally means willing to take people into your home and give them a place to stay, if need be, and we've done that from time to time, able to teach. Not not given to wine. Um, he, you know he's he's not hooked on it. Not violent. The old King James says not a striker. <laughs> not greedy for money. King James version says filthy lucre. 
but gentle, not quarrelsome or peaceful, not covetous or selfish, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Now, one thing politicians have in common when they run for office, you can say it about all of them, their families are impressive. Maybe not their brother. I mean, Jimmy Carter had a brother named Billy that was kind of an embarrassment. You remember Billy Beer? And Bill Clinton had a brother who was kind of wild. But their children are just impressive. Um, our current president's children are impressive. I mean, even in the eyes of the world, if a guy's kids are in chaos, they 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 would say he's disqualified. You know, if it's not working at home, don't export it, kind of thing. Not a novice, which means not someone that's newly planted or a new believer, left being puffed up with pride. It would go to his head. He'd fall into the same condemnation as the devil. I knew a guy named James Reed. He actually is an evangelist and has a great testimony, and he came and ministered for us. And he told me he hadn't been saved very long, and someone made him a pastor of a church. He said, that didn't last long. He said, when I got into some disagreements with some people that I had ministered to, I told them, yes, you will agree with me on this. No, we won't. Oh, yes, you will. No, we won't. Oh, yes, you will. If you don't, I'll tell everybody in the church everything I know about you. <laughs> that's not a pastor. That's a thug. <laughs> that's the godfather. Moreover, he must have a good testimony or literally a virtuous report among those who are outside. Unbelievers would respect him. Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So, if, if a guy is hated by all the unbelievers in town, uh, he's got some more living to do for God to turn his reputation around. He may be called to be an elder, but just right now, till that reputation gets patched up, what can we do to heal that? Um, don't, don't pursue being an elder. Now, I want to say two things. Uh, an elder is to be the husband of one wife. My application of that is the same application to everything on that page. Does that mean if an elder has been divorced and remarried, he can't be an elder? Well, what about if he's ever been drunk? Does that mean he can't be an elder? If he ever used to be an alcoholic, does that mean he can't be an elder? Uh, if he used to be a fighter, was quarrelsome, does that mean he's disqualified for being an elder for life? If he's ever told a lie, oh, he can't be an elder, does that mean he's disqualified? No. This is speaking of the current condition of the man's life. Timothy, who is overseer of this church in Ephesus, 
is being overseen by Paul, who's telling him what kind of men to put into position of elder and overseer in this church to help him, help him pastor the flock. So he doesn't say never has been a striker. Um, I mean, has everybody been able to teach? No, none of us have been able to teach. But over time, we grow spiritually and we gain abilities and spiritual gifts are developed where we some of us can teach. So this is speaking of the present condition of the man's life. Some guys have never been divorced. They're still married to their first wife, but they're not really faithful to their wife. Their heart is pining for somebody else. They're not really a one-woman man. So my, my interpretation and the way I pastored here is this speaks of the present tense. It's in present tense. Is Do we need an elder, first of all? And I believe we need at least three. So we pretty much run at the minimum. The reason being is they're multitaskers, they have businesses, and it's hard for me to communicate with all of them. There's only two of them. Something invariably happens that they didn't know about. So imagine what I would go through if I had five guys. It would be hard for me. So at, at the present, present tense where I'm at, there's just one full-time elder, that's me, and two that are volunteers. Maybe when some can be full-time, then we can get some more volunteer elders. I'm not sure. Or the Lord would show me, hey, we need more. But uh, both of them had been married previously. Both of them had been um, JP was kicked out of his home by his wife, and he lost everything. Nothing. He was just a young man not serving the Lord. Greg's wife was carrying another man's child. (laughs) And she wanted to marry that other man. So those guys disqualified for the rest of their life? No, they weren't serving the Lord back then anyway. When you become a, a practicing believer, old things have passed away, all things have become new. And so they have a good testimony with those that are outside. They're men that dearly love their wives. They're walking in unity with them. They're able to teach, hearts to serve. They were already eldering. There's other men in the church that are eldering, but they're just not called elders per se, because I don't, you know, there's not really openings for that right now with my current leadership style. Uh, if I'm wrong, please be patient with me and share what the Lord may show you, or whatever. <coughs> Any questions about that so far before we dive into ministers and deacons? Well, I guess we're all pretty much. Uh Absolutely. You got the picture. In our bulletin, the back page, right at the top, ministers, all the members. Read it. Every member is a minister. Now, in Ephesians 4, hey, you feel How you doing? In Ephesians 4, Paul wrote that God gave gifts to the church. Some of those gifts are apostles. Men to be apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And guess what the Greek word is there for ministry? 
They chose to translate it instead of transliterate it. It's diaconus, the deacon. So they, they, what's commonly called the fivefold ministry, I, I tend to believe in the sevenfold ministry. There's Jesus' ministry being continued and through gifts that he gives, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, there's number seven, for the work of deaconing or for the work of ministering. Okay? Tracking with me. All right. So that seg- we'll just segue from your statement there, uh, Martin, and go right on. Likewise, verse 8, deacons or ministers must be reverent, not double-tongued. Can't be uh, talking out of both sides of our mouth. We've got to be true blue in what we say. Our word is our bond. You know, back in the day, you didn't have to sign all these contracts. Now you've got contracts, a team of lawyers, and people's words still can't be trusted sometimes. It's my understanding, um, for six and a half years, we worshipped at the old location for First Baptist Church, right off the square, 404 North Houston Street, in what was then known as Country Love Theater. And while there, I learned there was a time when a man could write an IOU on an offering envelope and the church could take it to the bank and the bank would cash it and withdraw it from the man's deal. That's the kind of trust our culture had. Yeah, so anyway, deacons are to be trustworthy guys, reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Overseers are not to be given to wine. Ministers are not to be given to much wine. So so they got a little more slack, I guess. The word there for much means plenteous. Not greedy for money. Holding the mystery of the faith with a clean conscience or pure conscience. But let these also first be tested or proven. Just because you need a deacon or you need a ministry, uh, there's an opening, there's a slot. Don't just shove somebody in there that hasn't been tested. Look around and see who's being faithful. And then explore the idea with them. Then let them serve as deacons or ministers, being found blameless. Well, I test them for six months, and then we put them in. Well, how did the test go up six months? Well, they didn't do too good. Well, then then it's not time yet. It's premature. It's, it's a timing issue. God works with each of us. We're all being predestined to the image of Jesus. We all are, and we're all at different stages. And sometimes it's just not time. The person's not ready yet. Issues of their life are being worked out. God's working behind the scenes. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and sometimes, if it's not time, God hides the eye, hides you from the leadership from seeing you as a potential candidate. It happens. It's happened to me. I look back and say, you know, that God was protecting me. I didn't need to be that involved in that church. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, that is, honest, and not false accusers, temperate or sober, faithful 
in all things. So some men are really qualified to serve as ministers or even as overseers, and their wife disqualifies them. I've seen the reverse. Uh, we were part of a very healthy church, great children's ministry, overseen by a woman. Literally, you could say a deaconess. She oversaw that particular ministry. It was phenomenal. She was a single woman. Then she got married. And uh, it wasn't very long, just a few years. And she kind of got ousted from her church. The elders felt she had to go. Because her husband was backbiting, slandering the leaders, uh, criticizing the church, talking freely to whoever he wanted about things he disagreed with. And the poor lady, it's not fair, right? But hey, he's got a position of authority because he's married to her. And he's the husband. So it is. A man could be highly qualified as a single man. He's serving as an elder. And then he marries a woman who's a backbiter, a slanderer. And through him, it just creates a, it changes the whole dynamic. He's going to have to step down till his house gets in some kind of order. Another occasion, a church I knew of in Midlothian. Man was married, everything was going great till the elder's wife died. And the elder kind of lost his mind and began to make unwise choices. He was disqualified from serving as an elder. In his case, the wife was his backbone. And he probably should have stepped down. Probably. Um, thinking circumspectly right now if my wife should die an untimely death I think I'd probably see the need for more elders if I could serve as a pastor <laughs> alright I need two more to help oversee me <laughs> alright let deacons be the husbands of one wife ruling their children and their own house as well. So the same rule applies that was said earlier in the parentheses there in verse 5, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Ruling their own children and their own house as well. It's kind of like this. A church is a family. And so things we do in the church are ministry. Well, guess what? Our families are churches. And so what we do in our family is our church. You're the, you're the overseer of your home. You're the pastor of your flock if you have children at home. And so uh, years ago, I started a church. I was way ahead of God's will for my life, and I knew I was called, but I didn't know he actually had a timing and actually had specific will that he would make clear. I thought you got called, and then you you made the best of it. I went to Bible school. I got the piece of paper. I got the signatures. I appeared before my district board. I got the license. I got approval to start a church in a certain community. It was going to be the first church of any kind in Las Colinas, which is North Irving. Got approval on all that. 
and it wasn't the will of God. So after two and a half years of bumping my nose, I shut it down. Broke my heart. My baby was dead. We had about 30 people, but it just wasn't, something wasn't right. Now, churches can be 20 years old and 30 people, and God's grace is upon it. But for us, it had to go. All I had left was what? My wife and my children. So I still had a ministry. And so for the next four years, I ministered to them. And during that four years, my wife got involved in children's ministry. It wasn't long till they hired her to be assistant, assistant deaconess, as it were, to help oversee the children's ministry. And I got involved helping her, serving my wife's ministry. It wasn't long till they recruited us to come to Granbury and have children's church on Wednesday night. So I was here helping my wife. Nine months later, I become the pastor. Without an election and without the elders laying hands on us and sending us. It's kind of a long story that happened by Christmas cards and by something we knew in our heart. And uh, uh, so my pastor said, well, you certainly know the people. Go for it. So it came out of the crucible of my home. Helping my wife. And so even today I was helping her. Somebody had to put the vans up. Somebody had to go to McDonald's and do it. And it's right at that time when men are getting off work, and you know I can't depend on men to do stuff when they're getting off work. They've got their own families, right? So I'm doing my thing to help my family within the context of the thing, of the church. All right, any comments so far on ministers or overseers? All right, a bit of review. There's translating words and transliterating words. Translating the word baptizo, you would say immerse or dip. Transliterate, you would say baptize. Transliterating the word diakonos becomes deacon. Translated, becomes minister. Philippians 1.1 says this, and this kind of gives you a clue as to how Paul's churches were structured. Somebody want to read that? Uh-huh. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all saints in Christ, Jesus, which are at Philippi, bishops and deacons. All right. So here's saints, bishops, deacons. Or you could say saints means people that are set apart, the members of the church, the body of Christ, overseers, and ministers. The ministers, the way I understand it, help the overseers oversee the church. Overseers oversee the church as a whole. The ministers or deacons oversee specific functions of the church. Can a minister or a deacon become an overseer? Yep. That's what happened to Greg and JP. They're already deaconing, already ministering. Now, here's the problem with the word deacon, what's been done with it. 
traditionally in traditional churches, the word is kind of taken in number. Who's heard of a deacon-possessed church? They're kind of like the church bosses, and the preacher works for them. They they really function. Go ahead. The voting block. Uh, the, the the congregation votes, but the bosses really run the show. And uh, a lot of times their wives are leading them behind the scenes, so it gets kind of messy. Uh, there was a church here in town that it's a deacon-possessed church. And uh, something hurtful happened, and it's how it, all forms of government a lot of times exist based on pain. So they went through something painful as a congregation. The deacons had to step up, and they didn't want to step down when they got a pastor. And so um, we've had a couple of their previous, they ran through pastors there for several years, maybe 10 or more pastors they've had. I'm not sure. Two of them have spoken here at this table. One of them worships with us and is teaching the class tonight. So I said, I told somebody one day, I said, you know what, if the deacons aren't going to let go of things and keep pressuring pastors out of here, one of those just needs to take it. They want to run the thing, let them take it and function as an eldership. Guess what? That's what's happening. They installed the head deacon yesterday as a pastor. Now he's going to see what it's like. <laughs> somebody was... I've seen two churches, one out in West Texas. They weren't deacons, it were the elders of the church that was uh, decided the church needed to go in another direction, basically. And uh, and then the, a church here in Dallas, or over in Dallas, the, the deacons actually came in and took control of the church and fired the, the ministers and the associate pastors uh, for various and sundry reasons without an election at all wow. by the membership. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it 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 happens. Yeah. And and it has it has little to do with uh if the church is being ministered right, it has little to do with God. If it's not being ministered right, it can have everything to do with God. So it depends on the pastor and what the, the minute the minister in charge of the church yeah. is or is not doing. In both those instances, the, the, the minister, the pastor of the church, was preaching God's word. Yeah. And there was rebellion going on because they didn't like the word that right. was coming from the pulpit. Right. And it, uh, it didn't fit what yeah. they wanted. The, the context for this passage here, <clears throat> see at the top there, Timothy. All right. He's leading the congregation at this present time. And the words are written by Paul. He planted the church. Yep. So it's kind of like from the apostle Paul to his protege or his disciple Timothy to raise up elders who help oversee the church, who raise up ministers who help oversee the church. Yep. All right. It's not the reverse. It's not the reverse. The deacons suddenly become, it's, it's not the reverse. Here's the problem, though. Pastors a lot of times leave churches because they're climbing that ladder. I want a bigger church. Well, why did you go there to begin with? So they church hop looking for a better church. What's the poor church supposed to do? They're wounded in the wake of the pastor that quit on them. 
So eventually, this self-governing thing happens. And because they weren't set up with true biblical eldership, the continuity of leadership isn't there. And so men that may have influence that aren't able to teach or have some other issue going on in their life, they become the power brokers. And sometimes they they may not line up with some of these qualifications. Go ahead. It, it seems to me that, uh, that that's kind of one of the biggest differences between the two groups. This this is the the literal LITV version here. It says, uh, who's overseer, overseer to be blameless, doesn't want to let temperate, sensible, well-ordered, hospitable, apt at teaching, not a drunkard, not covetous, not money-loving, so forth. And the next group... I uh, see likewise, he says, but uh, but likewise, the deacons, and it looks like the, a lot of the language is very similar in, in kind of leaning in towards being servant, as a serving role, mm-hmm. but he doesn't, I don't see that he brings up teaching, that the people who are coming in be able to, you know, rightly yeah. speak the word and actually bring in order to teach in the word. Yeah. Um. James chapter 3, can somebody find that? Verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive great condemnation. Okay. Okay. All right. In the New King James, it says, Brethren, let not many of you become teachers, which means masters, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So, here we see a little more is required of an overseer than is required of a minister. You see that? Uh, Overseer is not to be given to wine. A minister is not to be given to much wine. Overseer needs to be able to teach. It's not mentioned in the deacon category or the minister category. So a minister and a teacher would be well, I think a minister could be a teacher, but not necessarily. If a man's an overseer, he needs to be able to teach. But if a man's a minister or a deacon, uh, he doesn't have to be able to teach. But if he is able to teach, then maybe one day he'd become an overseer if that opening opens up in the particular congregation he's part of. But trust me, he overse- he who desires an office of a bishop desires a good thing, but you're going to come under stricter judgment. People are just going to judge you. They are. In verse 7 of Timothy, it's basically how people perceive you from the outside being an overseer. You have to be blameless Mm -hmm. being an overseer because you're basically representing the church in an official capacity there, whereas to be a deacon or like serving in the church, not necessarily, it doesn't, basically say that you have to have that sort of standing outside the community to function in that office. Just like you might have a newer believer that gets involved with like like say food ministry or something like that. Yeah. You know, they could be seen handing out food to the homeless and, you know, working and stuff like that. But you wouldn't want that person that's a new believer that might have been involved in some sort of sin not too long ago, um, working in the uh children's ministry as a, as a teacher or something like that. Yeah. Timothy well, started as being put over the food ministry of the church in Jerusalem. Timothy was? 
Uh, I don't know. We'll get we'll get to that and see the list of names, but he could have been, yeah. Um, there was contention. We studied that in one of. The, yeah, yeah. We've got that. We've got that to go over tonight if we have time. Look at look at verse thirteen in light of what Ephraim just said. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing. <laughs> so God may not have perfect standing, but if he serves faithfully as as a deacon, as a minister, he, his uh, reputation is going to get healed. And great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Two weeks ago, we got a call here at the church from another church here in town, supposedly. They didn't ask to speak to me, so I don't think it was the pastor of the church. It was really inappropriate what they did. They spoke to a, a staff member. You need to know that there's, you have two members at that church that used to go to our church, and they are bad news, and you better be careful. They didn't give us any names or nothing. But what they don't understand is we don't shove people into positions just because we have a slot to fill. That particular church they called from, they are known for making giving people eldership roles who they don't even know. One time they decided, we need women elders, without really searching out in the scriptures. They put two best friends in as elders. So now, and they lost some members over that, because, you know, how do you be the husband of one wife when you're a woman, you know? Anyway, uh, one of the women's husbands, I don't think, was a believer. So that ought to be a concern. It wasn't long till one of the women was discovered to be a universalist. The other woman wasn't a universalist, but she became really ugly towards that woman trying to have her ousted out of the church. Became a mess. Why? They rushed at filling in positions. My pastor says it like this. Um, first comes relationship. Then comes trust. Then comes responsibility. Then comes authority. He says a lot of churches have it, have it backwards. They'll give authority, hoping the person will be responsible, and maybe they can be trustworthy. And one day, maybe we'll have a relationship. Backwards. Relationship builds trust. And trust leads to entrusting them with responsibility. And faithfulness and responsibility leads to entrusting them with authority. Back to our text. Uh, probably no elder has ever always been blameless in his life. No minister has always uh, had a good conscience. But presently is the condition he's dealing with. Not their past, but presently, how are they now? Are they the husband of one wife now? Yes. Have they shown themselves to be faithful now? Yes. Do their employers safely trust them? Yes. Is their word good? Yes. Well, they told a big lie 10 years ago. No, no, I don't want to hear about 10 years ago. How are they doing now? All right. Titus 
was another disciple of Paul. And he sent him to the island of Crete. We went through the book of Titus a couple years ago. Crete had, it was an island that had several congregations on it with nobody in charge. They're just all new believers. So he sends Titus there to be the pastor of multiple churches, and he tells him, you need to raise up elders in these churches, and here's how to do it. Here it is, chapter 1 of Titus, Paul's letter to Titus, verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. There was some disorderly things going on. And appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So every city on Crete needed elders there. So do it. And now he gives qualifications. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. The children are obedient. And dissipation is wastefulness. Destructive, vandals, whatever. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, willing to take people into his home, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine or sound teaching both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So there he is emphasizing the fact that an overseer needs to be able to teach. In fact, he needs to be able to debate because there was in that area people coming in and bringing crazy ideas into the church. Now it's a little different. We got that stuff going on on TV. Anyway, we won't go there tonight. Can you even not? Mike? You use elders and uh, overseers in the, in the passage. It's the same word? Yeah, it's two different words. All right. Appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. The, the word elder transliterated is the Greek word presbyteros, which transliterated in English would be presbyter. But translated as elder, it means a mature person or a leader. It speaks of their character. Okay? And then he, then he shifts gears. Uh, if a man is blameless, a husband or one wife, having faith for children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop or an overseer, it's the same person, that speaks of the function. Sheriff Deeds has authority, and he knows how to use it. He functions that authority. So he has authority from election, but he functions from his ability. He oversees law enforcement in Hood County. Okay? You would think he would have been the other way around. You would think he said to appoint, appoint overseers because an elder, you know. Yeah. It it seems like it, but think about it. You deal with character first, and then function second. And you don't need as many overseers as you do elders for. Well, I think it's the same. I think it's the same person. Same person. Now, for those of us that aren't elders, 
this isn't somebody else's mail. This is something that we're all to press toward. This is spiritual growth. So we all are to be become eldership material. We're all to be maturing in Christ. Elders in our own home. Go ahead. I'm fairly new to this church. Can you explain to me how an elder gets to be an elder? Okay. The people don't vote on anything. But the elders don't lead through major things without them being sure the body's with them. So there's all there's total accountability in everything. Somebody calls the church and wants a financial report, we'll print them off. We have the financial reports for 2015 out there on the information <coughs> desk right now. Is that uh, a ceremony kind of deal with laying on a hand? Yeah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So when we first started, uh, Joe Duncan was an elder and Finley Nunn functioned like an elder. Finley now lives in Denver. Uh, Finley uh, felt led to go to... He felt led to step down, and he went to another church. And then later he came back and was just a faithful member here. So we replaced him with Randy Ellis, Debbie's husband. And Randy served as an elder along Joe. All right? So in those two cases, my eldership, Pastor Olin and the elders at Shady Grove helped ordain those guys. All right? And so we're rocking along, and they were elders when we built this building. And then um, there came a time when Randy felt like he needed to step down. He wanted to step down just on his own. Uh, Debbie certainly didn't want him to. She was kind of sad that he did, but he did. And I was like, oh, boy, how's this going to be having an ex-elder in the church? It's fine. <clears throat> if he needed to serve in an official capacity in a service, like help an official in a role where an elder might, he'd do it. No big deal. So at that point, the Heralds had young adults in their house every week. They were pastoring them by the dozens. It was like a revival amongst young adults in our congregation. And uh, so it was like a no-brainer. So the whole church is like, man, it's great. And while the elders and I are praying, Joe and I are praying about who's this going to be, people were coming to us. Man, Greg. In fact, nobody ever came to us with anybody else. So when we made him an elder, we only had one person question, well, he's been married before. Yes, but he's a husband and one wife now. He doesn't tell lies now. He doesn't hit people now. He doesn't get drunk now. And he's lived a good period of time to prove his, his character. So, uh, four years ago, three years ago, Joe Duncan felt led to step down. He was approaching retirement. So, I mean, okay. And JP, he does more things. He's like a super deacon. He really is. He's repairing people's homes on Saturdays. He's visiting on our elderly people. He has his own business, so he's got free time. And he uses that to go check on elderly people, shut in people. I mean, he puts me to shame with some of this stuff that he does that I don't even know that he does. And faithful in the children's ministry and just all kinds of other things. And and, uh, he preached a couple of times and just blew us away. And so it was no-brainer. 
he was already eldering. So, in both cases, they weren't like politicking or even asking. Like somebody's asking, it might make me nervous. I don't know. It would depend on the scenario. But um, we do have concerns. The church is aging, and we got about a hundred young, hundred people in the church between twenty and fifty, and most of them aren't connecting. I mean, here we got three guys in that age category. You guys are connecting. But the majority of people in that age range aren't connecting. Now, they're all as different as can be, just like the rest of us. I mean, our senior citizens are as different from each other as can be. So I would hope one day we would have some younger elders, too. I really do. To help connect there. So when but, you become an elder, I mean, you have the ability to uh, do whatever you want to after that? I mean, if you don't want to... No, okay. Yeah, yeah, you're free to leave. I mean, you're free to resign and all that stuff if you want to. Um, so it's like I, I'm free to do what I want, but I can't without the agreement of the elders. So no decisions are made without us being in agreement. Not two to one. Not majority, all. That's the other thing. Five elders scares me. <laughs> it's easier for all three to agree on something then. Because, because when you're organized like that, that means one person has a lot of power, but it's veto power. Example. You ready for an example? You see this billboard here? This huge billboard? On the, just across the border, we were approached first to have that billboard. And we were told, if you give us a patch of land to put up this billboard, it will be yours in 10 years. This happened 12 years ago. The elders were not in 100% agreement. So it didn't happen. And here was the reasoning. We've got limited visibility anyway. We don't want something obstructing people seeing our property. And we will not have any control for what they're going to put on that billboard. And we don't want beer and cigarettes advertised on our property, bless God. So what did they do? They said, okay. And they moved just across the border. <laughs> and every time I see that, it preaches to me. Now, am I mad at an elder or elders? No, I should have been more courageous and talked about it more. <laughs> but I didn't. I wilted. I wasn't a good leader there. Okay, it's vetoed. Boy, okay. Well, that was a disaster. And you say, oops. So now we get a very good price. We pay for half that. That thing would have been ours. We could have both sides. In fact, I want Miyako's to give theirs up so we can have the other side too. But here's the thing. We could have had the whole thing and it'd be ours and us not paying anything for it now. But dictatorship is not the way to go. Autocratic leadership is not the way to go. I've been part of churches like that. And churches like that would have that billboard, bless God. 
but they have a whole lot of other problems because of the lack of leadership. There is wisdom in, in team. I hope I didn't say too much. I'm really trusting you guys. Welcome to the human race, Pastor. Yes, yes. And you know what? The fact that happened has given us wisdom so much since then. This is another billboard. We've got to think about it, guys. We're just being negative. <laughs> Let's think some more. Let's talk some more. Let's pray some more. Let's, you know, seek counsel. We didn't even seek counsel. We just vetoed that thing. All right. So we've talked about elders and deacons or bishops and deacons or overseers and ministers. And we've looked at qualifications for overseers twice. Right? Now, look at what was referred to by Tom earlier. What is called the first appointing of the first deacons. And I'll show you where the word diakonos is in there. Uh, Acts chapter 6, the church is living communally. People come there for a festival of Pentecost. Shavuot. Is it Shavuot? 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 And uh, they got filled with the Holy Spirit. And they didn't want to go back home. Life was, was new. It was a good church. And they lived communally for like about eight years. So here's people, 3,000 men in one day joined the church who were from out of town. And uh, listed in Acts 2 about 15 different nationalities, I think. Let me, let me just go look and see. I don't want to be wrong. Acts 2, when they heard them speak in tongues, it lists the languages that they heard. All right. Parthians and Medes, Acts 2.9. Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, Romans, Jews and Pasolites, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in their own tongue. So there's, there's, yeah, over 16 languages. So these people are from all over the place. They're Jewish, but they're, you know, they're mixed. And so they don't want to go back home, so they begin to live communally. It wasn't long until they start running out of money. So they start going back to their homes and selling their stuff and bringing it back. And um, Barnabas sold some property on Cyprus, I think. Ananias sold some property and were judged for lying. Ananias and Sapphira, remember that story? Very supernatural times. So they begin to have some problems with the daily food distribution. In Acts 6, verse 1, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, or that is against the Israeli Jews by the Greek Jews, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Oops. Then the twelve... Remember, Judas hung himself, so they raised up another guy in Acts 1 to take his place, so there's still 12 apostles. 
summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. The word there for serve tables is deacon. I'm just going to verify that right quick. In Acts 6. Diocaneo. It's not right that we minister tables or that we deacon tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men. So here's the men of the church gathered together, and they asked him to choose seven guys of good reputation or of reputation, reputable men, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So they can't be dummies whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. So it may be really good guys, but they're not good with math. They don't need to be dipping up the food. Okay, 18 widows, 9 gallons of milk. Okay, each of you get a quart. (laughs) No, they each get two quarts. So, you know, they had to have wisdom for this. They wanted to be filled with the Spirit and men with reputations that were good. Already proven, to be honest, God. Full of the Holy Spirit. They had to be baptized in the Spirit. Right. Not just dunked. Yeah. So this this was, because there was grumbling. You know, Mama didn't get fed. And, you know, the Meals on Wheels program, the wheels are coming off of it. The same pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So they're not called deacons, but they are because they're deaconing tables. They're divvying up food. And was that going to be for the rest of their life? No, it turns out Steve, Stephen turned out to be a mighty preacher. Of course, he got him killed. He became the first martyr. But that was an example of the early church raising up leaders. And in that case, they had the church do it. These guys must have been such outstanding men, they all noticed it. And it may have been guys helping the apostles, but because they weren't in charge, they had no authority. There was, you know, Peter slept in one day and the thing came off the wheels or something went wrong. They needed to release some control. Does that make sense? But based on the number of widows, they determined they needed seven men. So that doesn't mean every church needs seven deacons. Uh, in fact, we don't see that duplicated anywhere anywhere else in the scriptures. Does that mean deacons always need to oversee carrying widows? Widows are important. I think deacons can do that, but there, I think there's other areas of the church that also need deacons, also need ministers. Uh, Alan Ginschel, he's a new believer. He's proven himself faithful in, in an outreach ministry where he's repairing homes for widows. Are there widows in the church that have homes that need to be repaired? Yeah. Can he get to them? Maybe not. It's not all on his shoulders. You know. 
So there's men in the church doing some stuff like that. A lot of times things get done I don't know about. Uh, sometimes a new member will, will make me alert me to something that needs to be taken care of, and I thank them for letting me know, and I do what I can to fix it, but I let them know, hey, uh, if you see something to do, what can I do to help you get it done? So that's another example of some qualifications for a specific form of deaconing. Now, Paul starts his church in Ephesus um, in Acts 19. And then uh, the book just gets really busy. Paul's doing this and doing that, doing this and doing that. And in chapter 20, he's in Miletus, which is a long way from Ephesus, and he sends to Ephesus and asks for the elders of the church there to come see him. And when they come to him, he began to talk to them. He told them things like, hey, I'm about to go to Jerusalem and be persecuted and all kinds of other things are going to happen. And then he exhorts, he gives them this exhortation, and this is his word to elders. And I think it's really good. It applies to all elders. Therefore, verse 28, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Now, what we've looked at tonight are people talking about elders before they are. Here, these guys are elders. And elders need to be challenged and grow spiritually, not just stay where they were. Well, I'm the husband and one wife. Well, you think that's all there is to it? Um, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or bishops to shepherd or pastor the church of God which he purchased with his own blood so you know keep your life in order and pay attention to yourselves and to the flock the Holy Spirit's made you overseers of that flock to pastor or shepherd the church, which he purchased with his own blood. We're all under shepherds, as it were, and Jesus is a great shepherd, chief shepherd. Here's why. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. So this can happen in a local church. A part of the function of elders and overseers is to make sure that self-seeking people don't come in and draw people into their personal cult. Does that mean we're suspicious of new people? No, no. But if you see something that's off, do something with it. I'll come back to that. Let me read the final verse. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So when we're faithful to serve the Lord, there's there's an inheritance for us. All right. Wolves in the flock. There were three churches that were damaged somewhat by a guy named John Clark. John Clark, when he came here, I already heard about him. He had a reputation. Two of the churches didn't deal with him soon enough. He caused damage. Here's what would happen. During worship, John Clark would go up to the altar. All right, that's not 
real unusual. And he would kneel at the altar and start crying really loud. So loving church people would come around and lay hands on him, pray for him, and comfort him. At the end of the service, he would kind of befriend them. All right. Yeah, I think I like this church. I think I'll come back. Then, next week he would come back, do the same thing. And people would begin to gather around him, and then he would begin to shake violently. I mean, just really drawing attention to himself in front of people. After service, people would come to him, and he would begin to prophesy over them. Flattering prophecies. Flattering prophecies. Well, people love to have their ears tickled. We all love compliments. We all love to be encouraged. So this happens for a couple more weeks. Then, like on this, maybe the fifth week, the prophecies after service began to turn against the leadership of the church. Now, meanwhile, all the craziness going on has caused visitors to leave and not come back. Those people are crazy. I mean, he affected unbelievers' perspectives of those churches. Those people were whacked. It wasn't the people. It was this visitor. He was a visitor just like they were. But then these negative prophecies heard by people that had fallen in love with a guy that made them feel good, he was so discord in the church. And then when the the leaders or the elders of the church would confront him, he would leave. And guess what those people would do? Many times they would leave. Well, after doing this at two churches, the third church realized it, and they, they were able to nip it in the bud sooner, but not quite soon enough. So I heard about this. Sure enough, this guy came in that kind of matched his description. And during worship, he went to the front and was crying. And uh, people gathered around him, and he did the, the friendship thing. Okay, that's fine. Now, I'm wanting to be gentle because Everybody deserves a break, and sometimes people get mistakes, and God knows I need it. So uh, when the second Sunday came along, he does the going to the front thing, and here comes this shaking violently thing. All right. So I wonder, you know, is this demons? Is this him? Is this God really trying to touch his heart? Let's not interrupt what the Lord is doing, but let's not allow him to draw attention to himself as what he's doing. So J.P., this is before he was an elder. And another brother came up to him at my request, put their arms around him. Now, keep in mind, worship's going on. Brother, let's just take you to the back so you can have your own time with the Lord without us interrupting you. So they edge toward the back. He walks out and makes it look like he was thrown out. And we lost some people for that. You're quenching the Holy Spirit. Even when I told them this story, they wouldn't believe me because it's hard to believe. So I prayed. I said, Lord, i got to see this man. He told me his name was John Lee. But I found out it was actually John Clark. So that week on Thursday, I'm at the coffee grinder on the square. And who comes walking in but John Lee Clark? I said, John, 
we got to talk now. So we went to the gazebo, just the two of us. And I questioned about, are you John Lee or are you John Lee Clark? Or are you John Clark? He said, I'm actually John Lee Clark. Okay. Sorry for the misunderstanding. I said, you're, it seems like it this evening. I said, you've got a bad reputation. And I told him a little bit about what I heard. And he said, yeah, that happened. I said, who are you really? So what do you mean? I said, no, I want to know who is John Lee Clark. He said, I've been sent here by Satan to sow discord in the churches. I said, really? Yeah. So tell me about yourself. Well, I found out he had kids in California he hadn't seen in years. I began to rebuke him firmly for not stepping up to the plate and trying to keep in touch with his kids and doing what he can to be a father. I said, who are you stirring up trouble in churches? When you got your own household that's not in order, you got kids that need their daddy. He couldn't get away from me fast enough. So I'm chasing him as fast as I can walk, rebuking him for the sake of his kids, not for the churches. He disappeared. And I heard he never even showed up to get a paycheck at the last job he had. Now, that was a wolf. They're goofy sometimes. Sometimes they're really smart. In his case, he was kind of goofy. I got some other stories. When this when this church started, there was nobody in charge except a worship leader. And she was having an affair and nobody knew about it. And some bizarre things began to happen. And the members of the church said, Hey, can you start coming on Sundays? Not just we've just coming on Wednesday. You come on Sundays and oversee the service because each Sunday they had a different guest speaker. So a guest speaker's not in charge. The worship leader's in charge of the worship, but the guest speaker kind of deal. And the first thing I noticed that first Sunday was there was a guy, we were in a storefront. So let's imagine the, this little stage area is here. It's all one level. It's a room about this big. And back here is a storefront. So we're in folding chairs. You know, just one big row of folding chairs. I'll pull you up there and the musicians would play and well, this guy would sit in the middle of the room named Frank. And if he didn't like what the guest speaker had to say, Frank would look out the back window like this. He'd just turn his chair around. Now, he's not on the back row. He's in the middle of everybody. And look out the back window. So I'm not officially an overseer, but I'm asked to oversee. And I thought, Lord, how do I handle this? So I prayed. I said, Lord, I really, you know, I, I don't want to be irresponsible here, but I really need for you to help me here because the congregation really loves Frank. And if I do something wrong, it could really hurt the young flock. Frank had a house he wanted to sell so he could move to Mississippi. He didn't want to be here anymore. So I prayed, Lord, could you please, please, Help him sell his house so he can go home to Mississippi and I won't have to mess with him. His house sold in two weeks. In fact, he never came back to the church after I prayed that prayer. So there is something to be said for people needing overseers. Am I the church boss? No, you're serving the people you're leading. Just like your kids 
Are you the big dog? No, you're serving those kids. When you go to work, you're serving your kids. When you help them with your homework, you're serving them. When you discipline them, you're serving them. It's, it's servant leadership is what it is. And even when they're parenting and you get to you know, take your grandkids on vacation, you are serving your family. That's being a pastor, yet you're overseeing. If you see something out of order, you've got to speak up. It's your family kind of deal. So, anyway, I think I probably, for 30 minutes, have stated the obvious, but you guys have been very attentive. The way I see the church is all the members have potential of being ministers. So we call them ministers. But they don't have any responsibility until we know that they're faithful and they have a desire to serve in that role. Like they're not going to oversee children's ministry if they're unwilling to even take a Sunday now and then. And uh, we don't want a boss overseeing children's ministry. We want a children's minister overseeing children's ministry. Um, so if you're willing to serve in a capacity, look, you know, tell me about it, and we'll get you on board a team, whatever. If there's some ministry you'd like to be part of and we haven't even started yet, let's talk about it. We don't want anybody to start anything by themselves, but we'll, you know, maybe I've talked to somebody else who also has the same interest, and maybe the two of you can get together, or three of you can get together and start brainstorming on how to start that ministry. Alan Ginchel already started his ministry in another church. It's overseen by him and his mama, and it fit in here like a hand in a glove. You know? and, but it's not limited to people in our church. Other churches can come on board with it, too. Uh, people have ministries. That join our church, we don't ask them to shut their ministries down. Keep it going. Uh, Purita and Lee Crook, they come to the 9 a.m. service. She has a women's Bible study on Tuesday at her house. She's had it for a long time. Keep that thing going. Um, I'm trying to think of some other opportunity, uh, other examples, but you guys get the, get the drift. You have a, a gift of ministry. It's not just in the church. It's wherever God opens doors starts at home, flows from there. If your kids are already grown, move on.